Back in Luke chapter 8, we're going to be on page 865 if you are using one of the Bibles under the seat in front of you. I've entitled this morning's message, Be Careful How You Listen. So if you're taking notes this morning, title of this morning's message, Be Careful How You Listen. I was reading a sermon manuscript from another pastor this week on this text, and uh, he said something that kind of struck a chord in my heart. I remember, and it brought to mind, being an elementary school student, and uh, I lived as an elementary school student in dread of parent-teacher conferences. (laughs) Maybe you can relate, I don't know, maybe not, I'm sure none of you can relate, probably, But I lived in dread, at least maybe dread's too strong of a word, but I lived uh, fearful of the time when my parents would be meeting with my teachers. Because I knew throughout elementary school, it pretty much always went the same. Teacher, or parents, how is Eric doing in class this year? Teacher, well, you know, Eric could do better academically just needs to apply himself and actually turn in his homework. Uh, But he's respectful and friendly. He's a delight to have in class. He's kind to the other students. He's funny. But there is something that we need to work on. Eric likes to socialize. He tends not to listen well because he prefers to talk than listen. And when he talks, he's not disrespectful. But he will look for every opportunity to make a little side comment and get a laugh or to entertain the class rather than to listen well. And he leads others to not listen well by his talking. And that was pretty much the consistent theme year after year, parent-teacher conference after parent-teacher conference. And so even now as I look back, I'm comforted to small measure maybe by the fact that what I lacked in attentiveness I made up for at least in consistency was consistently inattentive. I'm grateful that the Lord didn't give up on me. It could be the reason why I, throughout elementary school, was usually in the top 10% of the lower one-third of my class academically. (laughs) Listening well is significant, isn't it? And it's important to listen well to teachers. It's important to listen well to professors. It's important to listen well to instructions But it is vitally, life and death, important to listen to the living and active word of Almighty God. And that's our theme this morning as we get into Luke chapter 8. I'm going to begin reading in verse 16. The word of the Lord says this, Jesus speaking. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care, then, how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Then his mother and brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear 
the word of God and do it. Well, let me just say right off the top as we get into this, this is a somewhat complex text. Um, there are different things going on in the text. It's not exactly clear at first glance what exactly Jesus means when he's talking in this text. It's not exactly clear why Luke puts this text together with the parable of the sower, which comes right before it. So I've wrestled with it a bit this week, and uh, as is the case sometimes, I wish I had another three weeks to wrestle with this text. Um, So what I'm going to do this morning is kind of give my best interpretation of what exactly I think is going on, and I'm going to try to herald that and proclaim that, what I think the Holy Spirit inspired Luke to do here, and what Jesus is speaking and saying and meaning to the people then and to us now. And then I would encourage you, through your study of the Word this week and through the Holy Spirit's application of God's Word to your heart and through your discussion maybe with your small group around this text this week to begin to kind of work through this as well and ask some tough questions and try to arrive at some conclusions and some application and some meaning here. So Jesus has just finished the parable of the soils. And I'm not going to go back into that because we spent two whole weeks there. Let me just say that the good soil we saw at the end of this parable is the soil that produced a crop. And it represented those who hear the word of God and those who hold the word of God, who hold on to what they hear. And then Jesus immediately goes into this next section or... If we just erased the, uh, the, the subheading, in my Bible it says a lamp under a jar, you can see that Jesus immediately goes into this section or concludes the section on the parable of the soils by saying, no one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but rather they put it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. So somehow Jesus is connecting this teaching with light. So he's saying the parable of the soils, you want to be the good soil, you want to hear the word, you want to hold on to the word, and then he begins to talk about a light on a lampstand. For background purposes, it's important for us to remember that in Jesus' day, they didn't have indoor electricity or outdoor electricity for that matter. They didn't have LED lights or bedside lights or rechargeable flashlights or battery-powered night lights. What they did have were candles. So they would light a candle and they would carry it around and the candle would oftentimes be on a candle stand that they would hold in their hand and they would take it with them and it would illuminate formerly dark places, dark rooms. And if they needed the use of both of their hands, they needed to sit down then they would set the candle on a a candle stand or a lamp stand that would usually be a higher table set in the center of the room so that that candle then could give light to the entire room. It could illuminate that which was formerly in the dark. No one would dream of putting a candle under a bed for at least a couple of reasons. One, it's not going to give light if it's stuck under the bed. Secondly, in this day, beds by and large were made of straw, which seems like an unhealthy combination, doesn't it, of of candle and straw. Before we go any further, though, you might be thinking, well, wait a minute, doesn't Jesus talk about a candle, a light on a lampstand in the Sermon on the Mount? And Jesus does. In fact, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus speaking about 
a candle or a light says, Matthew 5, 14 through 16, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So if we were to summarize what Jesus means by those verses in Matthew chapter 5, it might go like this. You, as the followers of Jesus Christ, are a city on a hill. You are like a lamp who is shining. And you were designed to live and to shine in such a way, to act, and to pursue good works in such a way that people, as they see your good works, as they see your grace and your compassion and your love and your forgiveness and your kindness and your godliness... They will then glorify your Father who is in heaven as they see the light of Christ within you. It would be a way we could summarize what Jesus means in those verses. So my question is, is that the meaning Jesus has here in Luke chapter 8 when he's talking about putting a lamp on a stand? And while you're thinking about the answer to that question, let me pull out another time that Jesus uses the same illustration of a lamp on a lampstand. It's actually in Luke, no less, Luke chapter 11, verses 33 and following. Jesus says in Luke 11, no one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when the eye is bad, your whole body is full of darkness. Well, that seems to be a different meaning than the Sermon on the Mount that we just read. Remember, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. So you are that light that's on a stand that's designed to live in such a way for the glory of God that people will see your good works, they will see your life, and they will glorify your Father. But now, Jesus says, the light in this situation, in this context, in this teaching, represents your eye. And if your eye is light... If what you choose to look at, what you choose to dwell on, the things you, you look at with your eyes are good and right and true and godly, then your body will follow that. Your whole body will be filled with light, which is a true but different meaning than the Sermon on the Mount. So now we have two different ways that Jesus applies this illustration, this word picture of a lamp on a stand. So the question again I would ask is, are either one of those things what Jesus means here in Luke chapter 8? And what I want to do is argue that Jesus means something different, a third meaning. So he's using a common metaphor, he's using a common word picture that would be common to people in his day, but he's meaning different things at different times when he uses it. And what he means here is the word of God. The word of God is a light that's designed to shine. And the word of God, when it is read and taught and proclaimed, brings light to that which was formerly in the dark. 
Now, you don't have to agree with me. I would, again, commend you to the Word of God and the work of the Holy Spirit in your own life this week to study this text. Now, let me share why I landed where I have. First, I think it makes sense of what Jesus has just said in the parable of the sower. So both here in Luke and in Mark and in Matthew, when Jesus talks about the parable of the sower, this lamp on a stand is, comes right at the conclusion. So I don't think it's Luke kind of piecing together Jesus' teaching how he wants. But even if he were doing that, we believe Luke is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So thematically, there is a reason why Luke is ordering his work as he is. Remember his purpose statement at the very beginning that he's carefully investigated everything and now written an orderly account so that we might know the truthfulness of the things that we have been taught, the truthfulness of the gospel. And So what does this lamp have to do with what Jesus has just said? Remember, in the parable of the sower, the primary focus is on hearing the word. It's on hearing the word. We saw that there are different kinds of ways that people respond to the word of God. And so the parable of the sower enlightens or reveals or clarifies what God's word does when it goes out. Sometimes it meets with hard hearts. Sometimes it meets with distracted hearts. Sometimes it meets with worried hearts. Sometimes it meets with healthy good hearts. We also saw how the word of God as it goes out is meant to be a caution for us. So that we would not be hard-hearted and so that we would not be bogged down by the cares of this world. And so that we would not be distracted by wealth and riches and pleasures. But that we might hear and hold on to the word of God. We saw how all of that happens as the word of God goes out. And therefore, the word of God is illuminating that which was formerly in the dark. It's illuminating to us what happens in people's hearts. And it illuminates our own sin. It illuminates the places in our lives where we, like the seed that falls in the thin, rocky soil, are more concerned about ease and comfort than we are about going through trials and adversity faithfully. Or it reveals to us times that in the darkness of our heart, we We have more care and desire and concern about riches and pleasures and the successes that come in this life than we do faithfulness to God. So the word of God is like a lamp shining on a stand that reveals to us how God works and reveals to us the things in our own heart that were formerly in the dark that need to change. Isn't that so true? As we read and study the Bible, God just through the Holy Spirit brings to mind Things that need to change, brings to mind areas of growth, brings to mind comfort in the Lord and peace and joy and satisfaction through our union with Christ. And so I think that the lamp on a stand is referring to the word of God here because it makes sense with the previous context of what Jesus has just been saying. But I also think it makes the best sense of what Jesus says immediately after Again, verse 16, for no one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For, or because, nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret 
that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear. So Jesus says, here's the different ways that the word of God works. It, it reveals to us how God's word meets different kinds of hearts and lives, and it cautions us and challenges us as we hear the word. I think that's the reason that Jesus, it seems, kind of bookends the parable of the sower with, verse 8, he who has ears to hear, let him hear near the beginning. And now, verse 18, take care then how you hear. I think the main point is be careful how you hear. Why? Because, verse 17, one day all things will be judged. All things will be revealed for what they are. The content of our hearts will be made plain by the light of God's word. Like what, what algorithm, what, what template, what standard will we be judged by? We'll be judged by the standard of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as God's word is shown, as God's word comes to be seen for what it is, it reveals that which is in the dark. So we are to take care then how we hear. Verse 18, for to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. You might think, well, wait a minute, that sounds really familiar to something else that Jesus has said. You're remembering rightly because in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus gives the parable of the talents. In fact, I just flipped to the left. Maybe keep your finger in Luke chapter 8. Flip to the left to Matthew chapter 5. Might be helpful for you to see this for yourself. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is giving parables. He's teaching about the kingdom of heaven. He's teaching about what is to come one day when Jesus Christ returns, when we stand before the throne of God himself in judgment. Jesus is teaching what this kingdom will be like, what will happen in that day. Verse 14 of Matthew 25, for it, the kingdom of heaven, will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To the one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the one, the, he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them and made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward bringing five talents more, saying, Master, I deliver to you five talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had received the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed, so I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. 
But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents, for to everyone who has, more will be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant out into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So you see the similarity, right? This parable in Matthew 25 is a parable about faithfulness with talent. But here in Luke chapter 8, Jesus, I think, is pointedly applying this to the teaching of Jesus, to the word of God. Saying to the one who hears the word of God and holds the word of God in in, like the good soil in verse 15, will receive an abundance. They, they have held on to, heard and held on to the word of God that they have received, and now in glory they will receive an abundance of the word of God. They will see the light of the glory of God for what it truly is. More will be given. But the one who has not, the one who rejects the gospel, the one who rejects the, the word of God, who hears the word of God and like the hard-packed soil goes the other way, will not receive a reward. And in fact, even what he thinks he has, the righteousness that he thinks he owns, the, the obedience that he thinks he possesses will be taken away. And I think it could be that Jesus, is, as he looks out on the crowd and he's preaching primarily to Jews, is thinking about those Jews who thought that they were righteous through their obedience to the Mosaic law, who thought that they had something because they followed the law of Moses. Meanwhile, they were rejecting the word of Christ. He's saying, what, even what you think you have will be taken away because you're not hearing and holding faithfully the word of God. I think, again, this is a call for us to be like the good soil. And to hear the word of the gospel of God and to respond, to take it to heart. But then we come to verse 19, and verse 19 through 21 could be a completely separate event. In other words, it may not have happened right as Jesus was saying, and he that thinks he has something, it will be taken away from him. And as he's saying that, as he's talking about a lamp on a lampstand, his mother and brothers are outside. It, it could have happened that way. This also could be a completely disconnected occurrence that Luke puts here. I think there's a reason. I think there's a thematic reason that he places it here if this does not happen chronologically this way. Look at verse 19. Then Jesus' mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Those who hear the word of God and do it. Now, before we get to what this means, let's cover a couple of things that I, this does not mean. Right? This is not what's going on in this text. First, 
Jesus' family is not coming to try to get him away because they think he's out of his mind. I don't think there's an indication of that in the text right here. Now, that does happen in Mark chapter 3, verse 21, where his family thinks, man, he has completely lost it. Let's take him away before he embarrasses himself or us anymore. But I don't think that we have an indication that that's what's happening here. Besides, Luke has already told us about Mary's obedience and Mary's faithfulness to God's word. So I don't think Luke is intending to show us how wrong Mary and Jesus' brothers were. I don't think that's the main thing that we should get from those three verses. The second thing that's not going on in this text is that Jesus is not disrespecting his family. Like, we don't have tone here. Like, we don't have the, don't have the YouTube video of, of this actual occurrence. So we don't have Jesus' tone that's happening. But based on what we see in the text, based on what Jesus has just said, and based on the rest of Jesus' ministry, I don't think this is some of the disciples coming and saying, hey, your, your mom, your brothers are outside. They'd really like to see you. And Jesus is like, ah, my mother and brothers are right here. <laughs> no. Don't think that's what's going on. Remember, Jesus, throughout his ministry, is caring well for his mother. Right? In fact, even at the end of his Uh, time right before his crucifixion as he's on the cross in John 19 he is entrusting the care of his mother to one of his disciples so if that's not what this means then what does this mean what I think Jesus is doing is showing that those who hear and respond to the word are those are are those who are, are a part of his family And that bond, that connection of those who are a part of the the true family of God have a connection and a bond that transcends every other connection and bond. Remember, Jesus is establishing his kingdom. He's not consummating it yet. That will happen when he returns, but he's establishing it. And this is a kingdom now that's not just made up of Jewish people. This is a kingdom that is made up of all who by faith believe in Jesus Christ. All who repent and trust that Jesus is the Son of God who did die on the cross for sin. This is a multi-ethnic, multilingual, multi-generational family that Jesus is establishing. And that bond of faith, of hearing and doing is stronger than than any other bond. You may have heard the expression, blood is thicker than water, and that's true in the body of Christ. We are bonded together by the blood of Jesus Christ, the blood of the new covenant, which is stronger than any other sort of relational connection that we may have. And it's the reason why you may have thought, you know, this is kind of weird. Like, as a new Christian, I actually feel a closer connectivity or a closer kinship to other Christians, even that may not be family members, than I do some of my own family members who aren't Christians. And I would say based on texts like this and others in the Bible, that's perfectly normal. In fact, that's to be expected. Because the most important thing about us, that we are bought and redeemed and forgiven children of the Most High God who are united to the Son of God, 
which is the most important thing about us, that most important thing about us, if we share that with someone else who is also a blood-bought, redeemed son or daughter of the Most High God, that's going to automatically form a connection and a bond. It's going to be stronger than even legal brothers or sisters or family members who are not Christians. It doesn't mean we don't care about those people, not at all. It doesn't mean we don't love them. It just means there's a, a connectivity that transcends, an eternal connectivity that transcends every other distinction. I think Jesus is establishing this. He's not disrespecting his family, but he's demonstrating a greater connection. R.C. Sproul said, those who hear and heed God's word belong to Jesus' family, whatever their lineage or background. But I think there's something else that's going on here in verse 21. Jesus answered them, my mother and brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. I think we need to be clear that hearing and doing the word of God do not merit us a place in God's family. It's really important because that's the consistent message really throughout the whole Bible, specifically in Luke, specifically in the New Testament that we see again and again and again and again. That our hearing and heeding, that our listening and obeying are not the things that merit us a place. They're not the ACT, SAT test scores that merit us a place in the university of God. No. The Bible is clear that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Ephesians 2, it is by grace that you are saved through faith. And this is a gift of God, not the result of works, not the results of obeying or doing so that we may not boast. But then what then is the place of hearing and doing? Well, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So hearing is evidence as we hear and do the word of God. It's evidence that God is doing a work in our heart, that God is transforming us from the inside out. And therefore, hearing and doing are the dominant traits of those who are a part of the family of God. I think every family has traits, right? It could be physical traits, characteristics, heights, right? Detached earlobes, things like that. Family have traits about hobbies or interests. Like different families have different traits. And the family of God, people in the family of God have common traits. And two of those common traits are hearing and doing the word of God. And Jesus would say in John, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. He didn't say, to be my sheep, hear my voice and follow me. Although that's true as God opens up our heart and opens up our eyes. But rather, he says, this is indicative of sheep, my sheep. They hear my voice, and they follow. Later in John 10, he would say, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold, not of this Jewish fold. Then I must bring them also that they will listen to my voice so that there will be one flock and one shepherd. Or we could add on the basis of Luke 8, 21b, 
one family characterized by people who are hearing and doing the word of God. Like that's an apt description of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who hear and do the word of God. It's not the only descriptions. We could talk about those who are united by faith to Christ. We could talk about those who are delighting in Christ. We could talk about those who are submitting to and worshiping the creator God through Jesus Christ. But here Jesus is emphasizing that my brothers and my mother are those who hear the word of God and do. My family hears my word. My sheep hear my voice. And they follow. Now that's not always easy. That's not always fun. But that is always worth it. J.C. Ryle wrote, Now the troubles of all who hear the word and God of God and do it are neither few nor small. The troubles of those who hear the word of God and do it are neither few nor small. The world, the flesh, and the devil continually vex them. They often groan being burdened. They find the cross heavy at times and the way uh, rough and narrow. They often feel disposed to cry with the apostle Paul, O wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Let all such take comfort in the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, which we are now considering. Let them remember that the Son of God himself regards us as his own near relations. Let them not, let us not heed the laughter and the mockery and the persecution of this world the woman of whom Christ says, she is my mother, and the man of whom Christ says, he is my brother, has no cause to be ashamed. It's worth it. So, as Jesus wraps up this teaching of the parable of the sower, demonstrating that his word, this parable, these truths about the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, are like a lamp shining in a dark place. They reveal the truth by which the world will be judged. And they demonstrate and kind of bring to the surface and make clear those who are truly the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, the hearers and the doers of the word. Friends, may we be hearers and doers of the word in response to the gracious work of our Savior King. May we be a church who does that May we engage in evangelism to that end, that there would be more lovers of God, more hearers and doers and delighters in the word of God as a result. Would you stand with me? Let's pray.